welcome to the struggle in victory. You are here, my friends, because you are striving to hear stories of people overcoming challenges in their life, pushing themselves to new heights beyond anything they thought possible, beyond anything their friends or family thought possible. Sit back, enjoy the stories, and see what you can make of your life. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of Struggle and Victory. Today I am joined by John Ramstead, a former Navy combat uh, fighter pilot, an entrepreneur, a, a speaker, and a man who has uh, many stories to tell. John, welcome to the show. Hey Mark, how are you? Great to be here. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk to me. Obviously I want to touch base on your military background first. You with the flight school and everything, talk about, you know, how you got into the Navy and then your transition, even going into the Top Gun school. Well, you know, here's something interesting because um, you talk a lot, Mark, about, you know, mindset and mental toughness. And I think a lot of that is connected to our identity and, you know, how we see ourselves. So growing up, I was kind of that loner and outcast kid and, you know, somebody who didn't have a lot of friends. So I mean, but I go through college on a Navy ROTC scholarship and it's the summer of 1986. I'm about to go into my junior year and I see this crazy movie called Top Gun and everybody's totally fired up and it had been my dream since I was a kid to be a fighter pilot. And, but when I watched it on the screen, right, uh, I'd said, you know what, that's not me. I can't do it. Right. Like, I, I'm sure, you know, you talk to some of your clients and say, hey, let's move from, a, you know, a marathon to do some ultra running. Right. You just told me about a friend what did a 280. Like sometimes it almost feels like the gap is so big. It's not even possible for me. I had that exact same reaction. So I didn't I went back to my my college ROTC unit and didn't even apply for aviation. And then I got to tell you, it just it just gnawed at me and gnawed at me. And then I realized, you know what? I can either do something I know that professionally I succeed at, and that would be going submarines as a nuclear engineer, which would be hard, but I wouldn't enjoy it. I knew that. Or I, I could bet on myself, and yes, I might fail, and I might fail very publicly, and all my friends, like I told them I wanted to be a fighter pilot, and they're all you know, making fun. I was afraid of heights as a kid. They all brought that up, and I'm like, you know what? I got to bet on myself, and if I don't do this now, what if I lay a pattern of not taking risks and betting on myself? Because I didn't want to live just a you know mediocre life. I didn't want to live at mediocrity. And honestly, that so it was this weird journey that led me to uh, even applying to flight school. But I think because I it happened that way, I showed up down at at, at flight school with with probably a different mindset than I that I might have had, and I don't think I would have done as well with you mentioned that that thing that nod at you like oh I, I i don't know if i want to do this but it was something there is that a was that a voice for you was that a, a gut feeling is there can you describe that a little bit more you know what that's a great question when you know in your heart that you have more potential um, than you've realized. When you know that probably that best version of yourself 
is not how you're showing up in the world. And there's this gap. I think some of us know it consciously or intuitively. Some of us have this awareness of it, but it's not front of mind. I think that's what the gnawing was. Is it this person and how I see myself, how I'm making decisions? I said, you know what? I always felt since I was a kid, I was meant to do something good with my life, right? I, I, I would even say, right, meant to do something great. You know, not from an ego's perspective, but I just felt like I had this potential and I wasn't even close to realizing it, let alone even tapping into it. And I felt like, you know, going, you know, making that one career decision to go to submarines for me uh, would have been almost like settling for. And I felt like if I just keep settling for things, I'm just going to be on this path of from that's going to go from average to below average. I felt like, you know what, this is my one chance to maybe start proving to myself that I can just incrementally be a little bit better or do more than I ever thought. And as you know, right, you can stretch both mental, mental and physical barriers that we've, that we've erected ourselves. And all of a sudden we blow through them and we look back at it and we're going, that wasn't that hard. Why did I make such a huge, I, I turned this into this concrete wall and I, and I was able to get right through it. And I, I, think, I think we do that a lot. I've done that in my life and business, right? I create these barriers and, the, and that affects how I make decisions. And you look back, that's where you, I think you look back with regret. Okay, interesting. So you make the decision to, to apply for flight school, you get into flight school, Talk about what the training involved and, you know, any setbacks you, you, you experienced during your time in flight school. Well, let me share this with you, Mark, because uh, when I got accepted, and this was part of my thought process too, because the movie had just come out, Top Gun, we were told that of every 10,000 people that apply for flight school, one person is going to get to fly a fighter. And... I had a friend of mine's dad who was killed flying helicopters in the military. Was, and that's a lot of naval aviation. People don't realize that. I was afraid that if I didn't do well enough, I'd have to fly helicopters. I was heading down to flight school. My dad pulls me aside, gave me some of the best advice I've ever had in my life. I follow it to this day, what, uh, 35 years later. He said, hey, John, when you get down to flight school, there's going to be one guy the ace of the base, he's going to be a student that everybody's talking about. My dad said, you know, what I understand is people that are not in your class, you don't compete with. So I'd be willing to bet if you get to know that person, they'll, they'll probably share with you what they're doing. And so I get down to Florida and there's a guy who's about to graduate and everybody's talking about him. Nobody's ever seen grades like this. Um, you know, you and I in the running world were just talking about David Goggins, right? Some of the stuff that he was like the David Goggins of flight school, if you just want to, right? If, I don't know if that's a good analogy in your world. But anyway, his name was John Foster, Mark, and I went up to him and bought him a beer and we became friends. And here's what he told me. It's interesting. This was all about mindset. He said, listen, you have to learn how to fly a plane and do something physical and some very complex maneuvers. Some are very, um, and they're constantly inducing stress. They're yelling at you. They're throwing emergencies at you. They're quizzing you on different parts of the airplane. If you get part of a maneuver wrong, they're going to immediately throw something at you. So he said, you have to learn how to think 
and memorize massive information and make decisions while doing something physical. So he said, do you know how to juggle? I said, actually, I do. He goes, good, or you would have had to taught yourself. He goes, I want you to juggle three balls. I want you to take everything we have to learn, policies, procedures, everything, checklists, and memorize it. Write it on three by five cards. Have your friends quiz you as you're juggling. And, and I had over a thousand cards by the end of my training. And, and I would just grab them in random sections. And if I got one wrong, I'd redo the entire stack. And he also, uh, at, the, at the end of the training, that and a couple other things though, I put in the work that John was do, that John taught me to do. And I ended up graduating number one. And I got my choice to go to Jets. And then I graduated number one in Jets and was able to choose F-14s. I honestly credit that to the mentorship. But Mark, here's something really interesting I observed. Everybody in my class said they wanted to fly fighters. And as my grades went up, I shared what John was teaching with me with everybody in my class, my roommates that were in my house with me. What do you think most, what do you think they did with that information, Mark? I'm gonna guess they said it was too tough or that's too time consuming. Yeah, I, you know what? I don't wanna stay in on Friday night and study. I wanna, you know, I've had a long week. Work hard, play hard. I'm going to the bar, right? I don't want to go up to the simulator building after a long day. I don't want to go to the gym and work out um, twice in a day and then go to the simulator building. Um, but guess what? You know, John, he, you know what? I allowed him. It was a choice. Um, he goes, can I hold you accountable? I'm going to check in on you. I'm going to be here. Are you going to be there? And I said, yeah, you can do that. And it was really interesting to me to see people that stated that they have these big goals. And I think when we have goals, right? Uh, like some of the things that you've done, Mark, you go find somebody that's done what you want to do. You look at what they had to do to get there. You look at the plan, what it's going to take from where you're starting from to get that result. And then I think you have to make a, a big decision and say, am I willing to put in the work that others have to get those results that are meaningful to me? And I think a lot of people just want the, the outcome and the result. And they want to try to find the easiest path there. And the easiest path, in my experience, never leads to, you know, extraordinary outcomes. With the path, uh, the path of least resistance, as some people will call it, you, you mentioned people make that choice of like your, your fellow buddies who were in school and like, hey, you know, Friday night, I want to go party. I want to go do this. I want to relax. I don't want to study. But you, you know, you were putting time in the gym, studying the books, practicing the jelly game and your flashcards. Was there anything separate other than the mindset between you and your fellow students at flight school? Other, other than your, your drive to, to get to be the best that you could be? I think it's important um, for any goal setting. You know, as I went through business and now I do a lot of executive coaching. I think the difference between people that uh, move forward is this, you know, change doesn't occur. What we're talking about is change, right? I had to change my habits. I didn't operate in this mode when I was in college. I probably would have done much better in college had I had this focus. But change doesn't occur until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of changing. And until we sit down and actually, let's say, look at a goal, 
whatever it is, whether it's your fitness level, your mindset, recovering from an accident, a professional goal and say, okay, what would that give me? Well, that would give me more money. Okay, great. If I had more money, what would that give me? Well, that would allow me uh, the ability to, you know, give away more to causes I'm passionate about. Okay, what would that give you? Whatever it is, if you walk down that path of, hey, just ask yourself, what would that give you? What would that do for you personally until you land on something that's so important emotionally to you that staying the same is more uncomfortable than the change it requires to get a different result? I was working with a, a client of mine, Mark. It was interesting. Uh, he was a CEO of a company, 500 employees, and we're talking about just all kinds of business things. And he comes in and said, hey, I, I, need to, I need to lose 75 pounds. That's what I want to coach on today. I'm like, well, I'm not really a wellness or fitness coach, but you know, what, you know, what's the reason? He goes, well, I just, you know, I'm always overweight. I don't have any energy. And I asked him, okay, well, let's say you had a little bit more energy. What would that give you? Well, I started feeling obnoxious, Mark, because I didn't feel like we were connecting to something real that would create the change. I had to ask that question 11 times. I'll never forget this conversation. The last time I asked it, I felt like we were getting close. It was literally silence for almost two minutes. Now, that's a long time. Like 30 seconds into it, I could just tell something was happening. I'm like, hey, I'm still here. Just keep processing. At the end of two minutes, he started, you know, tearing up. He goes, listen, I've been overweight my whole life. I never got to participate with my kids with, you know, Boy Scouts and camping. We live here in Colorado and hiking. And last weekend, my grandkids were here and everybody wanted to go for a hike. And my grandkids were five and seven. And they all went for a hike. And I made an excuse not to join them because I knew how uncomfortable it would be for me. He goes, I'm missing out on life again, not only with my kids, but now with my grandkids. Do you know he has now lost all that weight starting three years ago? And not only has he kept it off, but his level of fitness right now is at the best it's ever been in his life, including when he played sports in high school. And he's almost 60 years old. And I think that is key to, to, moving into uh, creating a new reality for ourselves. Okay. Yeah, that's, man, that, that was a great story about the client, you know, making the shift where the pain of missing out on life was, was more than he could take. And he reached out to you saying, Hey, I need to make a switch. And I think ha having you in his corner definitely helped in that progression. But before you got into the coaching side, you were still in the, in the flight school, Talk about your transition from flight school to the civilian life. Oh, well, it wasn't voluntary. <laughs> so um, we got back from our, uh, you know, uh, another combat cruise. I was in Desert Storm and then Operation Southern Watch. And I get, uh, I get called down to the commanding officer's stateroom, which is usually not a really a good thing, typically, when you get summoned. And I get down there and uh, what he shares with me is I have been chosen to go to Top Gun. Like, dude, this is like a dream. Like I float out of there back to my, I was like on cloud nine. Well, that next weekend I was playing softball on a squadron softball team and we're doing a little bit of batting practice. And I hear somebody yell, watch out. And I turn and look and a line drive drills me in the right eye. And I had a blowout fracture to my right eye. I had nerve damage. I lost my medical 
and almost 12 months to the day from when the softball hit me, the, the Navy discharged me. In my entire world, my life, my dream, my identity was all wrapped up in being a Navy officer and being a pilot and being an F-14 squadron. And it's all completely ripped away. I mean, what do you do when you have to start over when your dream is gone? Like, I didn't know who I was, what I should do next, where to go. I got to tell you, I was, I was as depressed probably as I've ever been. I was bitter. I was angry. Um, if I went and worked with somebody, because I was just used to just the standard of excellence inside of a fighter squadron. If people didn't have an integrity or a boss lied to me or they changed a comp plan, you know, jobs I could find were in sales, I would just quit. I think in my first year after the Navy, I probably had seven or eight jobs. Um, my wife would come home, my car would be in the driveway and she'd be like, seriously, again? I'm like, yeah, I'll find something else. But you know what? It was really cool during that period of time. Um, I met a guy named Jeff Saavedra. Uh, we just met at kind of a networking thing. And he just started reaching out to me and mentoring me. Like, hey, what are you good at? What do you like to do? And he introduced me to his mentor. who uh, Jeff was an educator and his, his mentor was an attorney. These guys took time out of their life and their world to just connect with me and help me. And we, we, we've become lifelong friends. It's 30 years later. They helped me figure out what I was good at and why. Reconnect to something important for me. How to apply my skills. That led me moving from San Diego, where I was. At, I was at Miramar, back to Minnesota, where I grew up. Uh, to start my first company with a friend of mine. I don't think that would have ever happened if I didn't have almost, I guess I would, you know, in today's vernacular, like a coach, right? This wasn't paid coaching. This was, you know, coaching slash mentorship. And I realized what a powerful influence we can have in the lives of other people. If we take our eyes off ourselves and we just look at, hey, how can we add value, uh, you know, in the lives of other people that we come across? And I'm so thankful, not only that they did that for me, but also modeled um, so I can do that for other people today. But that, that, was a, that was a difficult transition. I'll just, you know, being real. Okay. It, obviously, you know, there was that transition where, you know, you're going from job to job to job where, you know, the standards that you had set for yourself and your expectations of others, some people at these various jobs weren't meeting them or exceeding them. What were you telling yourself when, you know, you would leave a job and, you know, you'd come home and the wife would say, oh, again, what, what were you telling yourself when, you know, it just seemed like there was no jobs that were going to be the right fit for you? Oh, you know, I honestly, I've kind of always operated from a place of optimism or hope, right? And I just had this sense that, um, I was going to find something that worked. It was also, I, I just, you know, for me, my part of my story during that period of time, um, started going back to church. I kind of grew up in church, but it wasn't really important to me in reconnecting to my faith and also having that as a component that there, that there is a plan, that there are good works, you know, um, that I am meant that I'm designed for, that I can step into that are going to concrete that are, that are, that are going to create, I think that fulfillment, that joy, that excitement I had every day when I was in the Navy, that I can find that again, even though it, it times looked like that was not going to happen. And I, I, you know, I think that's a big part of mindset, right? If we're approaching things from almost a place of, 
you know, that life doesn't happen to me, but life happens for me, that everything that's happened to me, the good, the bad, and the ugly is preparing me. It's helping me grow to get stronger, uh, to get ready for what is next. Even if I don't know what next was, what I found was as I went through this journey, each little step prepared me to do something more, to stretch me, to put me in opportunities. And then I just, uh, that led to this incredible entrepreneurial journey that led to working on the management team of a Fortune 100 company. And then I left uh, a big company to go start. Um, that's what moved me out here to Denver. The CEO of his big company said, hey, we want you to move out to Denver from Minnesota, which man, I jumped on. I was totally excited about coming out here to Colorado, um, you know, to help grow the office. So I, I was out here in Colorado starting in 2008. And then 2011, I wanted, I really felt this need to go build something. I'd met some great guys who are going to be my partners, Mark. And so we said, hey, let's start something on our own and build it from the ground up. And so that was 2011. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that's how I've always had to, I've been through so many adversities and, you know, we built a software company, a data mining company, working 90 hours a week in the late nineties after I got out of the Navy. And then it evaporated when the internet bubble popped in 2000, 90 days. Uh, I mean, my net worth was massive. I mean, I was already planning my retirement, you know, at 30 years old and then it was gone. And I had to start over again in, you know, in 2000. So guess what? The next company I went to was a telecom company. Poured my heart and all my energy into that. In 2003, you know, we had the, the dot, you know, the telecom crunch, which flattened our industry. Um, you know, but I, you know, I don't think that's unique. I think a lot of people listening, you know what, whether it's personally, our health, professionally, we're all going to go through some of these things. So understanding, I think, resilience, being able to move through things in a way that you, whenever you go through adversity, there is no such thing as a status quo. And I think it exposes our foundation. So when we go through adversity, if we approach it, there's one mindset that's going to help us emerge stronger. And there's another mindset that's going to allow that to uh, where we emerge weaker or damaged or wounded. And so I always was focusing on, hey, how do I emerge stronger? Even if at the, in, in the moment that feels like a tall order, and it did sometimes. Um, but that's where I was always trying to reconnect with. Okay, wow. Yeah, I, I knew you had some things where, okay, I'll save this stuff with the Navy, but I wasn't aware of the various businesses and uh, you know the highs and lows of, okay, we're going to build this thing in the 90s, the, the internet gets big, that, that crashes. You go into the telecommunications market, that gets big, and then the, webs, the websites and everything, that crashes. But you talked about the resiliency. So as you're building your coaching practice and you know speaking engagements, you mentioned it on your website and, and, and various speaking engagements about your trip to, trip to Montana. Talk about that trip to Montana and how it affected your life and, and changed you to who you are today. Yeah, so um, in the spring of 2011, we started that new company. So I'd been there for five months and I get invited um, to go to a retreat during the week uh, with a whole bunch of just really neat people. I'm in Great Falls, Montana. So I get up to Great Falls, Montana on a Thursday and Friday, we're going to go horseback riding with this group. There's about 15, 15 of us. 
to the back of this beautiful property to have lunch and I'm the first one saddled. And um, all of a sudden my horse start, it just uh, starts trotting out in the middle of this big open area that's open up to the mountains. And then uh, Mark, he just bolts and he takes off. And I'm laying flat on my back. I wasn't ready for this. And, and he's accelerating and his rump is pounding me in the shoulder blades. And I'm scared to death. I'm gonna fl flip off the back of this horse and get kicked in the head and die. And so the only thing I think to do at the time is to squeeze with my legs as hard as I can so I don't flip off the back. Now, if there's any horse people listening, um, I was telling the horse to go faster. I didn't know that. I didn't read the manual. And he absolutely responded, man, that dude found another gear, flat out run. I finally was able to get my weight back up in the saddle. And about 80 yards in front of us is the steel corral fence. It's made out of three inch rolled beams and we're heading straight at it. And to the left, it's completely clear. So I grab the rein and I yank on the rein to get him to turn. I think I'll get him to turn, we'll slow down and we'll, you know, we'll figure this out. Well, he pulls his head straight back and doesn't even break stride, doesn't turn at all. I'm like, what the? Like, I'm freaking out. So I grab the rein, I pull even harder this time, and he pulls his head back even, even harder, almost pulls the rein out of my hand, and I literally started panicking. Like, I remember thinking in my head, I never even thought to pull back on the reins or anything. I'm like, man, I don't want to die, but I, you know, I, I should jump out of the surf. If I jump out of the surf, I'm going to break my neck, and I don't want to break my neck, and literally froze. I mean, I've been shot at, I've been in combat, I've been, you know, raised three teenagers, and nothing prepared me for that moment. And I look up in front of the fence at a full gallop, wind in my hair, hooves thundering. I'm maybe 20 yards now in front of the fence. And like ever had one of those moments just when everything slows down and I had a perfect moment of clarity. I remember thinking, this is not going to end well. And that's the last thing I remember. Um, he came into the fence. Somebody who was there watching told me, um, dropped his butt. And then he bucked so hard. He flipped over and landed on the ground, slammed into the fence rump first. And when he did that, he launched me Superman into the top three inch rolled steel beam. And I completely crushed the left side of my skull, shattered my left eye orbit. I broke literally every bone in my skull except for my jaw and my right cheekbone. Uh, I lost eight teeth. I broke my neck at C2, shattered my right shoulder. It was completely destroyed. All the rotator cuff and biceps, tendon, everything was ripped, you know, ripped apart. And then the next bar down uh, hit me in the chest. So I caved in the entire left side of my chest, broke all the ribs and punctured my left lung. And uh, we found out later, mostly because of the, the head trauma, what happened to me should not have been survivable. I ended up in ICU for five weeks. And then I was at, a, at Craig Hospital here in Denver. It's just, they just do traumatic, severe traumatic brain injury and spinal cord injury. And I was there for 20 months. And I'll just tell you this, at the accident, I woke up into more pain than I could ever even describe to you. And I didn't, you know, this is all cut, you know, the whole left side of my face is cut open. You know, head wounds are just ugly. You know, all the people there, they're holding down. I can feel them holding down my head and my shoulders and my hips. And I'm yelling and screaming and writhing around. I don't know this. I'm just trying to get away from this pain. And then Mark, all of a sudden, I was just, I was in God's presence. The love 
was almost overpowering. I remember the first thought laying there when I felt this because it was so unconditional is that I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this. And we had this amazing conversation and I was told that he he told me he was going to heal me. Took away all the pain that I was in. And then I opened my eyes and I calmly said, there was a paramedic next to me. And I said, I said to her, I said, God's here. You don't have to worry. It's going to be okay. And she's, she's like, yeah, no, like life light was coming. It was going to be an hour till life light got there. And, and she told me later, she didn't think I was going to even make it to the life light. I mean, she'd seen, she'd been a paramedic up in Montana for 30 years. She'd seen accidents like this. So um, I ended up having uh, 23 surgeries. And, you know, one thing that stands out that I, I, I think is, uh, that kind of drives me today, I'll never forget this, this is the five weeks in ICU, I had post-traumatic amnesia. So I literally have three memories that I can recall of that entire time. But one of them was very profound. I'm laying there in the hospital bed. I literally have seven IVs in me. I have a neck brace on. And the doctor comes in and says that there is a, it was a neurosurgeon and uh, it's talking about they have to do my first craniotomy. They have to take my skull off to go fix everything. There was bone in my left side of my brain. Uh, well, I won't describe it. It was bad. What I'm hearing, and he's looking at my wife, and he asked her, does John have a will and does he have a living will? And we had just redone that. I was actually supposed to sign it when I got back from this trip. And I hear her explaining that to the doctor. And he said, listen, we really need to have him sign that before we go into surgery because... What I heard was the chances of me surviving are low and the chances of me being the person that everybody remembered is not good. So she leave, he leaves and my wife leaves the room to go call the attorney to get that FedExed up. He said they could wait till the morning. Now, what I was convinced of, Mark, even though I'd been in God's presence, was that next weekend was my funeral. And I started playing the tape. Right. And I started thinking of all the good stuff at first. Right. You know, because that's what you do at a funeral. Right. Everybody says nice stuff at the front of the church. And I started thinking of this concept of inheritance. Like, what am I leaving to my wife and my boys and, you know, stuff like that. But then I started thinking of this concept of legacy. And I started asking myself, what have you left in your wife and in your boys and in your friends? Have you lived a life so the use of your life would outlive your life. I think that I started thinking about some of those people that have mentored me in my life that I look back 20 and 30 years later and say, you know what? I am where I am today. I'm the person I am today because of the influence that certain people have had in my life. And I started thinking, you know, am I that person to others? I'm like, you know what? I was a high achiever. I was known for my work ethic. Um, you know, professionally that when this happened, I was at the top of my game. Um, but I, I was really convicted that that's not who, how I'd be remembered. I'd be, you know, if you knew me, you know, a few years ago and be like, yeah, what happened to that guy again? Oh, what a bummer. Yeah. The horse thing. So anyway, you know, we got introduced by our friend, Matt. Uh, hey, Matt, how's life? How's your speaking business? So as I recovered and really had to I mean, think I was in the, you know, two years in the hospital. I had to learn how to speak again. I had to learn how to walk again. My left eye is permanently blind. I have no death perception. I had to learn how to drive again, read. Reading was really hard for me. It was, it was an incredibly long 
journey. My, my, uh, when you have a front left lobe injury, you know, your rational thought, emotional control, what they call executive functions was all compromised. And I had no, I, I remember once there was a well-meaning doctor, Mark, in the middle of this recovery that said, hey, just to set expectations, he was talking to my wife, you know, um, I doubt that John will even be able to be a greeter at Walmart. Now, for me, I had, it was interesting being in that environment in a hospital with a whole bunch of people with, you know, severe head injuries and spinal cord injuries. And I saw two groups because we talked about, you know, kind of almost hope before, right? That, 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 you know, everything is something to get through to something better or something happened to me almost from a victim mindset that defines me now. And I saw the guys that almost had that positive mindset and they got better. They were getting better. They were improving, uh, even if it was very incrementally. And I got to the other people, the darkness uh, that they sunk into scared me. And so every day was a choice to hold on to the hope that, you know what, maybe tomorrow might be better. Maybe the next 10 minutes might be better because I was in so much pain. But I could, and, and that oftentimes was not true. Tomorrow was not better. Tomorrow was worse. The next 10 minutes was worse. But I had to hold on the hope that, you know what, maybe next month could be better, a little bit. Maybe next year could be better. So now my accident was nine years ago. Um, and I started this company six years ago, only being able to work um, eight to 10 hours a week total. Um, I had no money. I'd had no income for two and a half years. I had seven figures in medical bills. I mean, the starting place that we started from, I was <laughs> definitely one of the least likely people ever to you know, start their own business well. Um, but I got to tell you, through that, and I think my, my faith experience, Mark, knowing that, I'm, you know, that God has a plan, he said he was going to heal me, um, allowed me to just keep moving forward, making very small incremental progress. And today, you know, we got a team of four people. We got seven coaches that we, we, we work all over the world. Africa, Europe, all over the U.S. We work with the, the, the military has hired us to do work with them. It's been an unbelievable journey. Nothing I ever would have dreamed of seven years ago when I started this. Wow, that's talking about, you know, so nine years ago from the injury to starting the company two years after recovery to now where you're working internationally, you've got various businesses, you got military people reaching out to work with your company. Do you ever feel like you've, you've reached the top of the mountain, like, hey, I'm good, I made it now that you've you know, overcome everything that you have over the years, or you're, are you still hungry? Well, you know, I think it's, it's really important, you know, in life uh, to really, let me, let me say it this way, I think my focus in, in business and leadership and personal development in the past had always been focused on really connecting with my personal why, my mission, you know, what I'm going to do, and then, you know, how I'm going to do it. What I realized was through all this, that there's something foundational that, the, that we don't get taught a lot. And that is who you are as a person. Who's that best self? Like if I hired you as a coach, 
to improve my performance, I could take your best coaching, your best material, and, and I'll guarantee, I, I'd be willing to bet that you have some clients that just excel and exceed or get to that level you know that they can get to. And some people never improve and end up stop working with you, right? And what I think it is, is for me, it, it was this journey to really understand, and this is through my lens, right? Is understand who God is, who's this person that saved me and who really am I? Not the person I see in the mirror with all my limiting beliefs, um, with all my, you know, uh, things that have happened to me in the past, uh, the lens which I see through the world. And how do I, you know, sometimes we have these experiences and, uh, or people give us some feedback or say some things to us that are not really who we are. And we, but these lies, sometimes we let inside internally, we accept them as a truth about who we are. And it, it forms these chains that I think bind us up. And it was this process for me of kind of breaking these change and trying to figure out who I was. Now, in doing that, I really landed on my own personal mission statement, and that is to equip and inspire leaders to accomplish what's been inspired in them. And you know what? That's what kept moving me forward to, you know, to create that legacy, to be that person, you know, that I talked about when I, when I realized who I wasn't laying in that hospital bed. And that's what kept me moving forward. So I think it's really important, all of those, is to really understand who we are as our best self and start to close that gap between that real self and that ideal self. And in doing that, see, I was always looking kind of like for my purpose, my calling, my mission statement, whatever you want to call it. And it was like this buried treasure that was hard to find. When I worked on understanding who I was at my, you know, at my best, who I really was at the core, and connecting to that person, that purpose, that calling, that all the misclear, and I was able to, it, 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 it was right in front of me. It was right in front of me the whole time, but it's something I've been like, you know, searching for my whole life and trying to overcompensate for really not gravitating, but just trying to outwork everybody around me, right? I was looking for validation externally versus internally. So I don't know if that answers your, your question, Mark, but that's been a big part of, I think my journey. Okay, interesting. You mentioned where, you know, instead of seeking the external validation, we're like, hey, you know, I made this magazine or I brought in this much money and revenue for my business. You looked more of like, who am I as a person, as a whole? For somebody who's, you know, in that tough situation where, you know, they're, they no longer seek the external validation, but they're struggling to find the internal, internal value and who they are what would be one like beginner step you'd offer for somebody who's, who's struggling with that? You know, I think a great first step is to really, um, if you think about it from a context of really, it's about self-awareness, right? Which is really the first step of emotional intelligence. So here's the, here's something interesting. Stanford did this huge study across thousands of leaders Mark in, you know, athletics, business, ministry, government, politics, you know, these are introverts, extroverts. They looked at all these different leaders and said, you know, is there one thing that defines people that have achieved excellence? And they, they did find one factor and that was self-awareness. And, and for me, it started with really understanding what my own, my core values were. 
And how am I honoring those in my life? I started digging into, hey, what are my passions? What are those things in my life, these bright moments that just, you know, lit me up? What is it about those moments? What, what were the elements in those um, when they're present, just, you know, where I feel like I'm just fully alive? Um, what are my, my gifts, my, my, my talents, my skills? I started looking at all these pieces and I started, I came up with this term called convergence and it's where all of these things come together. My values, my beliefs, my skills, my passions. And then the, uh, the question is, at what level am I honoring that in my life? And what would it look like for me? I'm kind of a simple guy is just, I just want to, what is that next small step forward? What does a plus one look like on a scale? Of, if you put all this together and said, hey, you know, one to 10, 10 being you are fully alive, you're fired up every day, you know, one, like you're barely hanging on, like you are living in depression, kind of like where I was right when I got out of the Navy. Right. If I said, OK, I'm at, I'm at about maybe a six on that scale, if I'm being really honest, let's say. What would a plus one look like? Like, I would love to be a 10, but some for, for me, that was too big of a gap to close. Right? That almost uh, prevent would prevent me from moving forward. But I said, you know what, what is that? And I would ask people out there just listening, just what is a plus one look like for you? Do you need to work on maybe developing a skill or a talent? Do you need to look at your life and say, you know what, I got to do more things that in my life that fill me up um, instead of things that drain me? Um, you know, what are those small, you know, what are my passions? Is there, is there a way that I can restructure what I'm doing and how I'm doing it? It doesn't mean you need to change jobs always, but can I look at maybe what I'm doing differently and bring some of those things that I know move me toward being the best version of myself into what I'm doing? And that was my whole quest is I, honestly the last since the accident has been this quest every day to just find what is that next small step that I need to work on today. Maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's working with a coach. Uh, maybe it's trying something new. I got into public speaking, which was not something I've ever done before because I felt like that was a next step and it was really intimidating and I was not good at it. That's actually how I met your, our joint friend, Matt was actually, I decided I'm going to go, like I did with John Foster in flight school, I'm going to go find a guy out there who's the best at what they do in speaking and presenting and communicating in a way that creates a transformational experience for the people listening. Not, I don't want them to come away and say, wow, John's a great speaker. I want them to come away and say, wow, that was what I needed to hear for me today. And that guy's name was Michael Port. So I've, I've, you know, I've been willing to put my, you know, put myself in places that are not comfortable. I've been willing to invest in myself. Um, and it's just this slow, steady journey. And I, Mark, I feel like I've come a long way, but I have a long way to go. That's kind of how I feel right now. Awesome. I love the concept of just, you know, the plus one thing, like what's one thing I can do to get better. And I think a lot of people can gain value from it. Before I ask my final question, where can these guys find you? And is there anything you'd like to promote? Yeah. Um, beyondinfluence.com is our website. I just wrote a book about this whole journey. It's called On Purpose With Purpose, uh, Discovering Your Best Life. The book is going to be coming out next spring. But if you go to beyondinfluence.com forward slash book, um, I'll, I'll send you a, a free chapter of my book uh, on core values. It's everything I went through, everything that I do when I work with a client on 
really connecting and then honoring their core values in their life. And then you also uh, get on our list for when this thing pre-releases and we're going to have some pretty good promotions and coaching and things and free resources around that. So I'd love to have people participate in, in that beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. Okay. Awesome. I'll, I'll put the link on the description for all the podcast episodes. So definitely guys check out the link below for my final question. What do you do each day to make each day matter to you? Well, for me, and I have, I'm not a journaler. I never was, but I actually sit down, Mark, here's my book, my journal. It's right here on my desk. And I sit down for at least 30 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour. Here's the notes that you can see that I did this morning. And I actually just sit here and I think I'll read a scripture. Uh, I'll think about my day. I think about the people in my life. I look at our big priorities what we're trying to accomplish and just take some time alone before the day gets busy. And my whole focus um, here is like, what's that one small thing that I really need to focus on today, right? I have my note here, the bottom paragraph and each one of these pages is that, that one thing that I think, right? I'm not always positive, but um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna focus on today. Sometimes doing that, a name comes up that I need to reach out to, um, to follow up with. Sometimes it's an idea for how to serve our clients better. Sometimes it's an idea to, to redo some things on how our team operates. But every time I just sit here quietly with a pen and a, a journal for me, um, always there's always something good that comes out of it. Awesome, I love that answer. So guys, if you haven't checked out John's John's website yet, highly encourage you to go check him out. Like you said, he has a book coming out next spring. Go check out that, you know, sign up on the list, get that free chapter of core values from the guy who's gone through the highs and lows, whether it's from his time in the Navy to the various businesses that have risen and fallen to him overcoming the injury in Montana. This guy's the real deal. So go check him out. Like I say with anything else, take this message, run with it and make today matter. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's episode of Struggle and Victory. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest on this show, send me an email at mark at markthecoach.net and I look forward to hearing all sorts of stories and getting you on the schedule. 